my experience is a child who has tantrums and a child who doesn't understand things and a child who talks to themselves and a child who is alienated from the rest of society and and is apparent that you're doing all this stuff to you know you're doing all this stuff to try and help your child and you have no idea what it's going to lead to at all you know and uh so i wrote a lot for those kind of parents and those kind of people Michelle Edwards. I am the author of a novel called Chronicle of Endings, but I want to continue the conversation. It's a conversation about the different endings we face across the course of our lives, and ultimately about all the beginnings that open up after. I want to speak to men because men don't always have the place or the permission to talk openly about their difficulties the way women do. But I want to speak to women too because we are all the same human beings trying to navigate the same universal human experiences. Mostly through these interviews, I want to have the opportunity to speak directly and openly with you. Each guest's experiences will allow you to reflect on your own, about the endings you have faced and the ones you are yet to face, the mindset and actions which brought these people through their difficult times will, in turn, speak to you about your own. Because whether it's a novel a podcast, or just two mates finally speaking about things that matter over a beer. Words. Words have the power to change people, to change their lives, to change yours. So, can we talk? All right, Eric Rashke. Welcome to Chronicle of Endings. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So you are a, um, a husband, uh, a father of three boys, a writer, a teacher. Uh, today, you're going to talk to us about some endings and some beginnings that you had to go through um, for one of your sons who is severely autistic to, to get him the opportunity to live a great life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you tell us this story? Yeah, I guess um, the story is that, that, my son, who's now 14, wasn't getting uh, an education. Uh, we were living in Amsterdam, and he wasn't getting an education. And um, uh, he, he couldn't read, and he didn't know math. And, yeah, so I guess, like, I guess, you know, my son, like, autism is, you know, a, a disability with communication, right? So it's kind of like... I sort of uh, compared to like when I was in the Netherlands and I was first speaking Dutch and people would be like, 
I would make all sorts of grammatical mistakes and pronunciation mistakes. And then they would sort of like listen to me and I could see that they were just sort of judging me. They were like doing their metrics of like, is this a smart person? Is this an educated person? Is this, but, but they were judging it all based on the way I spoke Dutch. That's ridiculous to base a person on a language that they're just learning, you know, but we all do it. You know, you hear someone who struggles with English and you think to yourself like, Oh, this person's, you know, you make all sorts of weird judgments about somebody in your mind quietly, you know, that generally are wrong. And, um, and with my son, I guess, um, a lot of it had to do with that he was in school and they're like, why would we teach him biology when he can't even read the word tomato? Right. Like, why would you take that big step? And, and I would sit there and say all the time, like, no, there's a lot going on in that head. We have to skip past these. Like he can't just cause he can't read the word tomato doesn't mean that he doesn't understand Shakespeare or that he doesn't understand, you know, novels or, or biology or whatever. And they were just stuck with that. They were just stuck with, well, he can't do this. And therefore he probably can't do this and this and this. And, uh, yeah, I have, I had a book, you know, a few inches thick of therapists saying like the father's in denial and the father, you know, is not listening to reason and this child has a low IQ and he can't, you know, he can't do this stuff. And then two summers ago, I brought him to a summer camp in New Jersey uh, with a school. It's called Celebrate the Children. It's a, and um, it's only for autism. It's a school for autism. And, uh, and I said, they said, is there anything you want us to work on with him? And uh, I said, yeah, could you, could you work on reading with him? And they're like, yeah, sure. I'm like, anything that would help to teach him to read. And yeah, within, you know, six days, they had him reading fully. They tried out like three or four different methods. And then finally they got the fourth one stuck. And um so now he's up to 400 word vocabulary reading and he, and, um, and then the rest, what he can't, he uses his phone or other things to sort of figure out. And he, this year he's been in school and he's been learning biology and he's been learning history and he's been learning literature and, and, you know, uh, the way it's going, I, I assume that in a year or two, he'll be with on grade level. But they're just sort of like, okay, he can't read the word tomato. That's fine. So let's, that's, that's just what he can't do. He can't, he can't tell time. He can't use numbers. So what can he do? Oh, he can figure out history. He can do biology. He can do all these other things. So his comprehension is all there, but his disability is, you know, decoding numbers and decoding letters and stuff like that. So, um, so it, it's just been sort of nice, you know, it's, it's this thing of like, well, if the, someone's in a wheelchair, they can't obviously compete in sports. No, we say, no, they can, they can, they just have to, they can be just as athletic and just as, you know, and compete and, and work out just as much as anyone else, but with a certain device that helps them. And for him, it's, you know, his phone or a reading device or something like that. So that's, that's why I was like, Oh, I, I have to, I have to make this step. I have to bring him here and um, put him in school here because what's, what's the alternative, a group home, you know, where he has no education and he sits in a group home and you know, there's only, 
with kids with autism, there's only, there's only really three or four options, you know, they live at home with their parents, but then when their parents get old and die, uh, then what happens? They go live with relatives, they go live with siblings, um, they go to a group home, but with group homes, you have staff turnover, you have people coming in and out all the time, you know, um, and then uh, you have the push to make them independent, or at least partially independent, and uh, and that's that's the hardest route, unfortunately, to make your child uh, slightly independent. You know, and even the, mo- the resources to help help these kids become independent isn't really there. No, no, not to be independent. No, because it's. I mean, people always go off about like, you know, the social welfare state in Europe and Northern Europe and how great it is, you know, but it's great for certain things, but it's so big and it's so unmovable that um, they're like, look, we have group homes and they're good. Why, why would you fight this? Why not just put them into a group home? Like, well, my answer is that the, the quality of life for him is much lower than if he's independent and doing something that he wants. So for example, the school where he would have gone, um, they, they told me that they're, they're top performing students. The students are at the top of their class. Um, they train them to fill uh, boxes for mail. Like this is their, you know, their <laughs> cum laude or whatever, you know, students is that their whole goal is they're, future is just putting mail in mailboxes, you know, and, and, or, or filling, um, in Dutch is called the fucking filler. It's like they they, they put in things in boxes and in, in stores or they learn how to clean or they learn how to, you know, do these very basic things. And I, I, it, it just breaks my heart to think of him spending the rest of his life doing something like that, you know? What's he really good at? What, what's he passionate about? He's really, he's really creative. He's, he's a really good artist. Um, he, uh, he's really good. Um, like he's a really good photographer, right? Um, I love his photography, but he's stopped doing that lately because he's been doing music more. He's really into music and making music. He's always really liked music, right? But he didn't, he didn't really have an outlet because he has, autism, your motor skills are often severely impacted when you have autism. So um, your fine motor skills and um, playing an instrument is just, it's just sort of too far. So, um, but he really loves music. He listens to music constantly and, um, and he can tell you all who, like who sampled this and who, what the song is like, just, just now I went to the, I took him to the gym with me and, um, we were in the car and this song came on and I was like, who is this? It sounds so familiar. It's like, it's Missy Elliott. Like, how do you not know that? You know, like, so he, he, he knows just from the opening beat, he can tell what the song is. And um, so he really likes to make music. So we found, I, I, I was like, what, what can he do that doesn't require fine motor skills, but he can still make music. And so um, he's been for the last couple of years, he's been mixing music. So he takes samples and then mixes it together on his computer. And he, he's, he has a really good ear 
and he hears uh, all different sounds and puts them all together in this really interesting way. And ironically, like one of those, I think one of the turning points is Australian is the, the avalanches that he heard. Um, he heard the, the band the avalanches and he heard all the different sounds that they're all mixing together. And for him, it was sort of this light bulb went on. Like I can put all these sounds together and make music, you know, and I don't have to like, play an instrument i can just look at my computer and i can just sort of weave them all together in interesting ways and so he's really he's sort of dropped most of his other artistic stuff and just he spends hours just mixing music and um so so that's what he's really good at and um i mean yeah i mean there's a there's a kid at his school who's a dj and he's indian and he gets to dj at all the indian weddings here in new jersey and he makes, you know, he's happy. He makes a pretty good, you know, makes money. And uh, so, yeah, if my son can mix music at weddings or play DJ at weddings or whatever and make a living from that, it's far better than washing dishes or mowing lawns or making candles like so many other kids that are stuck doing, you know? So when it comes to music producing, the sky's the limit, really. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how long has he been in school here uh, in America? One year now. This is his first year, yeah. And that's really transformed him, his confidence, his, you know, his approach to life. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Like, he was just in a play this week on Thursday, and uh, they spend the whole year writing the play. And, like, autistic people... I'm making jokes. Most autistic people, they think associatively. So when you say like, um, what was something you just did recently? Oh, um, yeah. Like if somebody, if he hears somebody talking in a certain way, he'll, he'll say like, oh, there was this guy the other day and, and uh, he was talking in the, in the, who was for, we were by the gay pride and this guy was sitting next to us talking to and, and then Kaz, goes it was kind of when he goes honey badger doesn't care and i was like what 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 are you talking about that you know the honey badger video the guy that's like oh well he, he makes a reference to that and it was so funny it took me like 20 seconds or a minute to sort of figure out why is he making what is he talking about the honey badger video and i was like oh it's because this guy next to us is talking like that and and it was just i couldn't stop laughing it was such a funny like association but he got it just nailed it and and uh so he thinks associatively. So when you write a play or, you, or a story, stories are written sequentially, right? Act one, act two, act three. But when you have a lot of autistic kids and they, they, they write their own play, they write the play associatively. So for us, when we're, when we're watching, it's really hard to sort of follow. But to them, it all makes perfect sense. Oh, yeah, of course, if you have, you know, this happens and then, you know, you have a red, a horse a black horse comes onto the set, then of course the next scene is going to have, um, uh, um, I don't know, a night sky. And then because the sky is black and it looks often like a horse. And then of course, after the night sky, the next, the next scene of course would be Romeo and Juliet, you know, the love scene or whatever. Like, and so you're trying to have to make the associations to sort of keep up with the way that they think for them, it's all very clear how mm -hmm. these associations work. So to make a long story as long as possible for your podcast <laughs> i am um, the they write this play associatively and and he performed it and he wrote his own lines 
and he performed it and he wrote the beat because he was his rapper that comes out and sort of sums up the scene with like a few lines and he would come out and they would close the curtain and he comes out on stage and there was like three or 400 people there and he starts rapping these lines with his music that he created and he had memorized the lines and he's doing it and I was like this is amazing like you're just you know, in one year, the confidence that he has to stand there in front of three, 400 people and recite these lines and rap and dance a little bit, you know, is, yeah, it, was, it brought tears to my eyes, you know, just to see. And it's all with them. What it is, is it's all like build up his confidence because once he's confident and he can do anything, you know, once he's confident of who he is as a person and what he can do, then yeah, the sky's the limit, you know, as you said. Yeah. Now, if you could go to school in America, you had to separate from the rest of your family. What was that like? Yeah, it's been really, really hard. It's been super hard. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess my wife and I have been together now 10 years, so... Um, and I have gone back every six weeks or so. And I have to say flying during COVID was pretty amazing because the planes were empty. <laughs> and, uh, um, and you know, since I'm a teacher, I, I was, I got vaccinated way back in January, but the, the, the distance has been really hard, especially for my kids because they, they sort of lost a father, you know, for a year. And, uh, and so they've, sacrificed a lot in order to make this happen and um but hopefully this year they're gonna come over and get all settled in and um and that i i think that yeah that that was big but in my mind a lot of my thought was look there's gonna be have to be sacrifices made either we try and make this work now with him in school so he can be slightly independent or they're always going to have the sort of the existential crisis on their head um, of what are we going to do with our brother? Who's going to take care of our brother, you know? And so if it works, if I can make him, if I can get him to a point where he's at least semi-independent, that burden will be off their brother's to constantly be like worried about him, you know? So my, my wife has her, her, her brother is, um, uh, very, um, he had a brain damage when he was, when he was really small. Um, and, uh, he got really sick, got brain damage and he's been in a, a group home, uh, for most of his life. And I see that with her and her sister, the, and her mother and everybody, knowing that their brother is sort of there and he's, he's far more um, disabled than my son, you know, but the, 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 the existential angst that hangs over you when you have someone so close to you in a place where you don't know what's happening, you don't know the staff, you don't know them, I mean, you know them, but there's turnover, you know, and it's just not something I wanted for my other kids. And uh, so I don't know. I could be wrong. In the end, I could be wrong. But I did tell my I did tell my other boys. I'm like, look, this is why I'm doing it. And only time will tell if I was right or wrong with it. 
but something has to happen. It's a big sacrifice, not only for your other kids, but for you and your wife. Um, and I guess so um, much of your life now revolves around um, your family. Uh, it's, um, it, it, it's a lot. What, what, yeah. what do you do for yourself? So tell me about your career as a writer and how that has intertwined with your journey with your son. Well, it's a couple big questions, separate questions. I, I would say, I, 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 I guess the the whole thing about making a sacrifice is, is, I think, is really interesting because, you know, if your child falls into a river, you're going, you're going to dive in after them and try and save them, right? But when when the sacrifice is a little bit more obscure, like in this case, was an education, then it becomes more like why, why are you doing it? Why, what is the, what is the goal? You know? Um, and I think that's, that's the hardest thing. Cause like I said, your, your child gets hurt and you need to jump in and save their life. You're, of course you're going to do it. You know, there's no question about it. But so, but why is this sort of a different sort of sacrifice? And I think about that a lot. And in my, in my novel to the mountain, which I wrote, it was, a question of like, why, why do we do this as parents? Why, what, what is this sacrifice? What is it all about? And um, I based my novel a lot on Isaac and Abraham, the story of faith and you have faith in your children, you know, I, mean, I don't know do, do if you have kids, but like you put a lot of faith in your children, you know, a lot, you put a lot of, faith that they're going to succeed and that, that the good things are going to come out of who they are as people. And where does that faith, you know, and why do you sacrifice for, why do you sit through endless piano lessons knowing full well that your child has no talent when it comes to pianos, you know, like, or, or horseback riding lessons or all these things that you, you, you give up a huge amount of your time and sacrifice your own happiness for things that you're pretty sure aren't going to necessarily prove fruitful except for making them a better person. Right. So it's, so I, I wanted to write about that in my, my book, my latest book. And, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of things I want to write about and I'm kind of glad that this, I've gotten this sort of out of my system and now I can move on to my next novel. So the two, the two definitely connect There's sort of this bigger pictures of humanity. Like, why do you do these things? Why do you make these choices? Why do you make these sacrifices? You know, cause there's always, I mean, you, 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 I'm sure you have this, you have friends whose parents just, you know, who, who, who are good people, but as parents, they're just not involved or they try, you know, they're just sort of like, I'm sorry, I got to go golfing, you know, <laughs> I got to go, you know, to my Pilates class or something right now. And, and, they're making choices and um and then there's other people that are like completely devoted to their kids and they do everything and they they give up everything and you're like sort of why, why are you doing that and so I, I thought that was just kind of a interesting thing to write about um because there's so many books and memoirs about like raising an autistic child and how difficult that is and i didn't want to go there i wanted to go for a bigger sort of human um issue because when i write 
fiction, I like to have more than just sort of the one layer. It's, when I write, it's more interesting to have, you know, the, the, the bigger picture. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but <laughs> yeah. at all. Good, interesting answer. Yeah. I mean, how the two come together, I don't, I, yeah, I don't really know, to be honest. And that was the best answer I could. Yeah. Well, you can only, I guess as a writer, you draw on your most poignant experiences in life um, because they're the things that rattle around your head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always say like, should be something that you're, you, you have a lot of emotion about cause you're going to be spending the next two to three years with that idea, you know? And if it's just about a book about like something interesting that happened to you at one point, you know, then yeah. I always think about like uh Perry Farrell from Jane's addiction saying that like, if he had ever known that he had to write, if he had to sing, Jane says, you know, a million times, he probably never would have written the song or done it because he has to constantly perform it for the rest of his life, you know? And I think it's the same way with books that you have to, you have to feel very strongly about something because you're going to be stuck with that and people are going to be reading it and commenting on it and talking about it, you know? So. But it is something, I guess, if you're going to write a book about it, you have, so much to say and and it's it's not one dimensional it's like life there are so many facets so many perspectives so many layers 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 and it's really beautiful to construct that in literature for somebody else to pick up and read because you know somebody else might not have lived exactly the same life that you've lived but elementally we we experience many of the same things the same themes in life the same difficulties the same junctions you know where we have to make a decision to go right or to go left um so you know it's these things that unite us as people yeah definitely i am i just last week actually last week my wife my four-year-old son were here visiting and we went to the natural history museum and they have this exhibit on evolution. And, um, and I, I was listening to the, the guy who created the whole um, the exhibit. And, um, and it was really interesting because he said for like a million years, humans, they, they thought very surface level, like I'm hungry. So I need food. Um, I'm tired. I want I need you know, I want to have children or it was just very sort of for a million years, they just thought in sort of one way. And then um, when language developed to a point where, where they, they began um, some uh, thinking symbolically. So it was like Isaac and Abraham and these sort of symbols came in that you could have different meanings with one particular word or one particular image or one particular statue or something like that. The minute that came in, humanity began to rapidly progress. You know, the, 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 the symbolic thinking just thrust us forward. And within 50,000 years, you now have AI. So for like a million years, it was all flat, very like surface. But then after that, it just went boom. And now here we are, you know, so. This is a really good place to draw a line between what you've just said and your son, because you know, he has been a member of the world and, and for how many, 14, 
14? Yeah, 14, yes. yeah, yeah. So before he, before language was there, all of the thoughts were there, all of the expression in his mind, all of the joy, the sadness, the, you know, the excitement that was all there. It was just the communication that was the missing piece. Right. And it's, I mean, it's common knowledge to people who have autistic kids that when you see a kid on the floor having a tantrum who is screaming and yelling, you know, and hitting his mother and just knocking stuff off and going crazy. I'm talking about autistic kids. I'm not talking about like bratty little kids. I'm talking about kids with autism. They, when they're younger and my son did too, they explode. Like they literally explode. Like you could just, you can just imagine like it's just one step before there's, you know, their heads, you know, they go crazy. And it's literally because like little kids can, you know, like my other, my other two boys, it's like, no, I don't want to do this. No, 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 I'm not going to do this. No. Like, you know, and it's totally unreasonable and irrational half the time, the way that they, they blow up, but they, they're speaking and they're communicating what they don't want. But when you're autistic, you can't, the, the words don't come naturally. So, that frustration, it just rises and rises and rises to a point of craziness and an and, and explosion. And like one of the things is um, with my son when he was younger, he w- his head would just become a swirl. He'd be so frustrated and so upset. His head would just be swirling. You could just literally see and he couldn't hear anything. And autistic kids, like if, if you talk loudly to him, like you need to stop right now that makes it worse. You know, that makes it a whole lot worse because they're also very sensitive to sound and sensitive to input. So you're adding that tone, that threatening tone and the loudness on top of, um, of what's already going on in that chaos in their head. And it's always the most ridiculous thing when people say like, well, you know, you just need to be more strict with your cat, you know, your autistic kid and just really tell them what it's about. Like, no, that's the worst thing to do, you know? So like with my son, I used to have to like, I would grab him really close and I would whisper in his ear, like, you need to stop right now, or this is unacceptable, but I'd have to whisper it before it would actually sink in and it, it worked. And, and then we gradually reached a point where I was like, okay, when you would have these temper tantrums, like, why did you do that? And, he, and it just took forever. But to sort of teach him to sort out you can't communicate you can't talk but you're really frustrated about something so how do you how do you get it out so that people can understand what's going on with you you know and um i mean i'm sure you've been in relationships where you have the endless you know you have a fight with somebody and you talk for four hours about a 20 minute fight you know like we have that capability to to talk talk things out but when you're autistic you can't the words just there aren't there and so um so yeah so i am really glad that he's artistic autistic artistic not autistic autistic and artistic but he's artistic because that is the way that he does express himself to a certain degree and um i know a lot of parents have kids that don't have an outlet and they still struggle with the tantrums and the anger and stuff and uh so yeah, it's a complicated thing. It's very complicated in that respect. Yeah. It sounds like you're, I mean, dealing with it so well. It's a lot to get your head around, I suppose, in a different way of parenting than other children. 
Um, yeah, and- because like my other kids, like I can sit them in a corner, you know, I'm like, go sit in the corner or go cool down, go in your room, cool down, They slam the door. And, ah. But there's a communication going on. You know, there's an under there's, you know, so yeah, it becomes a very different complex game with autistic kids. Yeah. So Eric, what's next for you and um, what's next for your family? Yeah, um, hopefully get everybody over here, get a house and and uh, continue to keep them in school and, and uh, keep writing. Um, uh, still writing a lot, teaching. And uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I, for the last 13 years, I was, I was teaching uh, the university and that was nice, but now I'm, but before that, before I moved to Amsterdam, I was also teaching in Washington Heights in New York. And I was teaching uh, really underprivileged kids, kids who struggle who are very low grade level and stuff. And, and I came back here and um, I still have my teaching license and I'm still, you know, pretty high up in the union and stuff like that. So they just, I got right back into one of my old, you know, back into teaching and now I'm in the Bronx teaching and, and uh, I, I, I find it a, a very deep satisfaction with teaching um, these struggling kids, you know, like I, it's, it's such a, and teaching them how to write and teaching them how to communicate and, and uh, so I have to find it, I find it, it's, you know, it's, uh, I'm not saying anything, new but you have to find a balance between my own writing my family and then teaching here and uh so yeah i'm I'm gonna keep writing but i'm also gonna keep teaching too because that you have to be satisfied on that certain spiritual level too i think you know i think as a writer you do too tend to be drawn to um you know some really interesting and maybe unfortunately complicated parts of life, the gritty stuff, you know, you pay attention to those details. Some writers are, I mean, I think you should be, I think that's, I think that should be a rule. If you're a writer, you should, you should really dive in, you know, to that gritty stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of people stay away from it and they write about very surface level stuff, you know, but the good, my favorite books are usually by writers that have, have a certain amount of experience with yeah. st- things, you know? Yeah. You have to be, be in the life to, uh, to write about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I mean, I still love writing. I have to write, you know, it's, it's who I am. And, but I mean, I write about my son because, uh, you know, you really should write what you know, I think, um, and stick, stick close to home and where the emotion is, you know, and uh, I had a I had a professor when I was in graduate school, and he would always say like, always start with the most painful stuff of your life. Always start writing about that from the beginning. The 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 worst, most horrible things. That's where you should begin. And I I don't know. Somehow I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, because you're clumsy as a writer. You're when you're beginning, you make a lot of mistakes. You do a lot of things wrong. Um, but you do know your own sort of struggle and you do know your own pain and you know, you know that very well and nobody can question you on that. Like nobody can say like, that wasn't really your experience or that didn't really happen. It's yours. You know, you did it. 
And as long as you stick close to that, you can begin to make all sorts of mistakes with the technique of writing because the, the, the emotion and the pain and all the other stuff is all there anyways, if that makes sense. Yeah. Your, your latest book, what's it called? What's that? What's, what's your latest book called? It's called To the Mountain. When you yeah. were writing it, when you were sitting there for months and maybe years in your room writing it, who did you imagine to be reading that piece of work once, once it went out there? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I originally wrote it, I think, I mean, I think most writers write for themselves to begin with, you know, and um, write something that they think is missing. And I read a lot of books about autism and I just, I never found one that I, I thought transcended the actual case. Like it, it was all about like, my son does this and my daughter does this and this is all really good. And like, this is my life. But there was nothing like the, I felt that you could read, you know, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, that sort of was like, this is what disability is. And this is what it's like to have a, you know, intellectually disabled child that, that it, it's about the humanity, the human aspect of it. Um, so originally I started off that. And then, and then I think like, as, as I wrote, like, I think, there's a lot of books and stories written about like highly functional autistic kids, um, which I think is unfortunate because the highly functional autistic kids are like 2% of the population. The big middle chunk of autistic kids are like my son who are just autistic and they struggle on a daily basis, you know, and they're, they, you know, they're, they're tested by people who don't understand autism and they're given very low IQs. And, um, and then there, there's their whole life is sort of judged by that. But I mean, IQ is a ridiculous thing to judge an autistic child by. Um, and so um, I wanted to write for parents who were sort of like, you know, I like Rayman. I like the curious incident, the dog or whatever that book is called. Um, but that doesn't have anything to do with my experience my experience is a child who has tantrums and a child who doesn't understand things and a child who talks to themselves and a child who is alienated from the rest of society. And, and as a parent that you're doing all this stuff to, you know, you're doing all this stuff to try and help your child and you have no idea what it's going to lead to at all, you know? And uh, so I wrote a lot for those kind of parents and, those kind of people think. I think some of those feelings can be also pretty universal and not just within the autism space. Yeah. Yeah. I know like, you know, if parents of, if you have kids who are on drugs or, you know, different things, like you're driving around looking for them or trying to figure out like, why am I doing this? You know, what is that? So. Uh, coincidentally today, is Father's Day in America. So I just want to take a moment for myself and everyone who's listening to wish you a sincerely happy Father's Day for everything that you've done, everything that you've been through, every um, every sacrifice that you've made. Um, so, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. I mean, 
there's a lot of fathers that do a lot of stuff too, you know? So it's, I think it's one of the, it's weirdly enough, it's, you know, there's, there's not, it's not as appreciated as it is the, the fathers that the ones that actually do. I mean, I know there's a lot of fathers that don't do anything that golf and, you know, and they're like, okay, I got my one hour with my kid this week, you know, but then there's a lot of parents, a lot of fathers that just do a lot. And I know a lot of them because they're fathers are my son's friends, you know, and I see how much they do and how dedicated they are. Yeah. I feel like the fathers don't always have an opportunity to share their stories and their feelings and their experiences. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for sharing your story with us. Sure. For, for your time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, I will uh, link in the show notes uh, some places where people can reach out to you if anyone wants to connect. Um, or if anyone wants to read your book uh, to the mountain, I'll link that too. Um, yeah, I'm actually great. interested in reading it myself. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Barry. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Please share this story with anyone you feel may benefit from hearing it. Or if you or someone you know have your own story to share, feel free to drop me an email at m 